0: Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Um, we are lucky and privileged to have with us uh, a, a dear friend and a colleague and a, a tremendous uh, influence in the, uh, in the halachic and Torah world, especially when it comes to regard, with regards to medical issues in halacha, but really his, uh, his uh, uh, knowledge and his expertise uh, is really spans across many, many, many different uh, things, and I o- oftentimes will send the rabbi messages to Israel to ask for his uh, expert advice. So it's a, pr- a privilege and an honor to have him here with us. If anyone uh, is not running after the class today, um, he'll share with us some words, and, uh, and we'll see Be'ezrat Hashem. Maybe over the next couple days we, we may have a chance also to hear to hear some more from him uh, as well. Um, the, um, last This past week, we had a, a, quite a few, a crop of a few different things that came together. Unfortunately, a shiva and a and a uh, bar mitzvah and a wedding. Uh, so I wasn't here a couple of the mornings. So we have a, a couple of uh, backlogged um, the sponsorships. So uh, breakfast in the class today is dedicated in celebration of Sheba and uh, Orihan Barzilai uh, on the occasion of their wedding. Uh, may you build a home together on the foundation of love for Torah and mitzvot. Mazzal tov, sponsored by uh, Sheba's brother, Arya uh, Hurizade. As well, breakfast is dedicated in celebration of the birth of their granddaughter, Vivian Hittery, sponsored by Stacy and David Harari. Mazatov and Mabruk uh, uh, have Freddie also, Azaka Baruch, for uh, donating as well on Shabbat, the Kiddush, in honor of the ba- brand new baby girl. Breakfast and class is also dedicated in loving memory of Maurice's father, David Silvera. Alava Shalom, li Louis Nishma, David Ben Rina. Sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera. Mechila that I was not here on the day, but in Shammayim, I'm sure, they'll attribute it to the account, and it would be for an ilu'i Shama, ma'ala, ma'ala, tachat Kanfei shekhina. Breakfast in the class, also sponsored by Stephen Rapport, in honor of Haron Shochet, for keeping the synagogue in perfect order for so many years. And just because that's such an important dedication, I'm going to read it again. In honor of Haron Shochet, for keeping the synagogue in perfect order, for so many years, Azaku Baruch. Breakfast in the class is dedicated, loving memory, living in Dina, sponsored by Evan Kalatizade. And the week of cold brew, of course, as always, dedicated by, um, by Isaac Syed, in loving memory of Sami Syed, Shalomor Ben Rifka. My friends, I want to read to you a pasuk, uh, a pasuk that really, um, it should frighten all of us. And not because of some sort of weird punishment, but rather because it opens up a window of self-reflection into each and every person's human psyche. Amen. This man named Korach starts a war, a rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu. It starts really as a power play against Aharon, Against uh, uh, El Safan, against the fact that he felt he was passed over to be the governor, the mayor, you know. And eventually he takes on not just the mayor and the governor, but he takes on the Congress, the president, and then even God himself. He even asks, you know, he even denies on some level God's intervention and God's uh, gift of prophecy to humankind. My friends, Korach is willing to throw away everything. Everything. Why? So let me read to you. Uh, Rashi quotes the Midrash from the Tanchuma. Korach, Korach, he was so smart. This guy was one of the wisest people in the Jewish nation. He was also, by the way, one of the richest. Mara What did he see? That it caused him to do such a, a disastrous and foolish thing. Eno <inaudible> hitato. His eye caused him to stumble to make a mistake. <inaudible> he saw that a line of greatness was going to come from him. Who is it referring to? Who is going to come from him? Shemuel. And we know that Shemuel is shakul, is compared to Moshe Rabenu, Like it says in the Mizmorah Te'ilim, Right? Moshe Aaron, ve'aron Shmuel u'shmuel Korah shimo. Right? So in that instance, what do we find? We find... We find that Shmuel is compared to Moshe and Aaron. If that's the case. So Kolach says, efshar mimeni. Is it possible that all this greatness is supposed to come from me? va'ani edom and I should be silent? This question that I'm about to ask you always bothered me. Until I saw what he writes over here in Chaim Shesh Ba'em. Beautiful likut of different ideas. This question always bothered me. One more time. How come Korach throws it all away, makes a terrible mistake? You know why? Because he saw with Nebu'ah that Shemuel and Navi, was gonna come from him. Since Shemuel is compared to Moshe, he's so great, is it possible all this greatness is going to come from me? Vaani edom and I should be quiet and not and just sit here and take my lumps and be passed over? It leads a war, it leads to rebellion. My friends, I want to ask you two questions. Question number one: We are taught that from the uh, from the Tanaim, one of the greatest Tanaim was a Tana called Rabi Meir. In fact, he was such a great sage that when you uh, look at a Mishnah that doesn't have an address, doesn't tell you who said it, Stam Mishnah, Rabbi Meir. So Mishnah without a name, not Rabbi Akiva, Omer, or Amar Rabbi Yehuda, just a plain Mishnah. When you build a sukkah, it has to be this high. When you eat, uh, you know, the you eat food on Shabbat. Here's how you cook it. Any Mishnah that's just telling you halakha without an address, who is it? Rabbi Meir. The Chida writes the reason is because Rabbi Meir had a way of explaining with Mishalim things at Sahut Lashon, a way of expression that was far superior to the other Tanaim. So they chose Rabbi Uda in compiling the Mishnah, chose him to be able to communicate the laws, the ideas of ta- of the Torah shebal pe to all of Am Yisrael for all of history. Who is Rabbi Meir's grandpappy? Anyone know? Gemara and Gitin says it was Neron Kesar one of the Roman generals Goy murderer probably did a lot of other great things. That's what the Gemara tells us. Traveling to Jerusalem, he, he he's trying to get some sort of heavenly sign if he should go and take Jerusalem or not. He takes an arrow, shoots it this way, shadagira. He shoots another arrow, another arrow, four corners, and everywhere he shot the arrow, what happened? The arrow turned around and went to Jerusalem. And we think we invented the iron dome. Either way, point is, these men, these arrows are flying this way, this way, this way. They're going. Everything goes towards Jerusalem. Says the Gemara. Akedosh Baruch Hu wants to teach his children a lesson. And he wants to wipe his hands. And this guy, I'm out, not having it. Arak Azal, he runs away. He becomes a ger. He becomes a convert. And who's his grandson? Rabbi Meir. By the way, we have many examples like this. Shmaya and Avtalion are the children of Gerim. Ruth, Ruth, who becomes the matriarch of all of the kings of Israel, including David Melech, and ultimately Mashiach, who is her father, says the Gemara, Eglon. Eglon, why Eglon? How come, why did he merit to have Ruth? Why did he merit that the Jewish kings should come from him? He was a non-Jewish king. Ehud, who was one of the, uh, the Shoftim, came to kill Eglon. He snuck a knife in because they checked him on the right side, but he was a lefty, so he hid the knife on the left side of his body, they didn't check him, and back then they didn't have the wand that figures it out. He knows that he needs to get Eglon to stand. Why? Eglon was so fat that if he stabbed him with the knife that he had, the knife wouldn't reach any major body part. That's how much fat Eglon had, which is interesting, Eglon means like a, cow, like a cow. It's a small cow. So, you know, kishmo ken hu, like they say. So he knew if he didn't get him to stand, the layers, the rolls of fat would protect him, his vital body parts. So Ehud says to Eglon, I have a message for you from HaKadosh Baruch, from God himself. Eglon hears that he has a message from God. He stands up in honor of Hashem. Ehud stabs him. And he dies, and the Jewish people are saved from this terrible king. But in the merit that Eglon stood, we've learned case after case like this, right? So what we see is that actually, you don't have to be a great Sadiq to have a great Sadiq come from you. You know what that's called? Free will. Nahon, let me ask you a question. Rivka, who are her parents? Lavan. Right? Rachel Leah, who are their parents? Sorry, Bituel. Bituel. Who's, right? Rivka is the sister of Lavan. Bituel. Who's the parents of Rachel Leah? Lavan. Who's the father of Sarai Menu? Idol worshiper. Why did Korah, who's so smart, who at least knows his own family history, he looks and he says, oh, Shmuel's coming for me. That must mean that I'm going to win in a battle with Moshe Rabbeinu, because is it possible that all this greatness should come from me and I should keep quiet? Question number one. The question is flawed in and of itself. Question number two. We have a beautiful kilal, a beautiful law that says a person who gets embarrassed, but he doesn't embarrass. They hear their embarrassment, someone putting them down, they don't respond. What is the? On them, the Pasuk says, His, The people Hashem loves, they come out shining like the sun. And we have a Kabbalah that whenever a person is embarrassed and doesn't respond, Anything that they need, they could ask for in that moment of humiliation, and we have countless stories to back this up. People humiliated in shul, about to get up and respond, someone runs up to the guy says, please, 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 could you hold it in? My daughter has no children. My son has not had a shiduch. And countless times we've heard of untold miracles that happens from someone who gets embarrassed and keeps his mouth shut. My friends, Korach is really smart. He feels he's being humiliated. He looks in the future and he sees he has a son, Shemuel. He says, I have a son, Shemuel, and I should keep my mouth shut? Moron! Maybe you had a son called Shemuel because you kept your mouth shut. Is this not a good question? Are you not entertained? (laughs) We good? The answer, my friends would be blowing in the wind if there was any wind on a muggy day like today. But there isn't, so I'm gonna share it with you instead. Our Chachamim tell us that there's something in the world which it seems that the wisest people, that the most righteous people are not impervious to. And that is the concept of 'ah. nigia. Nigia means when someone has some sort of vested interest, When something applies to someone, I don't know if any of you were in the class Shabbat afternoon, but we asked the question last week. It says that when Kalev and Yoshua came back, so Kalev stands up and Vayaha Sa'am, and Kalev quiets everyone down. Is this all that Moshe did for us? Didn't he take us out of Egypt? Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he? We should go to Israel. He goes and he tries to convince the people. What happened to Yoshua? How come Yoshua is quiet in this moment? And the Sefer, um, the uh, Yamin Yosef, I believe, says that the reason why, or maybe it was the Ariza, I'm not sure. I think it was uh, Yamin Yosef. But he writes, the reason is because the whole machloket between the spies and the and, and Kalev is they all didn't want to go into the land of Israel. Imagine there's one person whose job it's going to be to take the Jewish people into Israel. The only person in the world that you would not trust his advice about what Eretz Israel is like is Yoshua Ben Nun. Because literally that is his job. By the way, if they decide not to go into Israel, Yoshua Ben Nun's Bin Nun's uh, appointment to take them into the land of Israel gets delayed. Because he's not the guy. Moshe is the guy until he's the guy. Clear? So, this concept of Nigiah applies to everyone. How do we know it applies to everyone? The Pasuk itself tells us says the Chafetz Chaim. What does it mean that? that shokha, that bribery, blinds the eyes of the wise and and twists the words of the righteous, says the chafetz chayim, you know, when it says the righteous, you know, when it says the wise, who calls them righteous and who calls them wise? You know, for me, if I look at one, some of you, I say, oh, this guy is a sadiq. But maybe the reason why I call you a Sadiq is I'm a nobody. Like if we went to Chamuvadia, and we asked, Is this guy a Sadiq? Maybe Chamuvadia is like a regular guy. If I go to Chamuvadia, ask, Is this guy a Tamil Chacham? Compared to me, he might know everything. Compared to Chamuvadia, he might not know a drop in the ocean. Says the Chafetz Chaim, You know who's blinded by bribery? You know whose words get twisted? It, when they have a vested interest, not my wise person and my Sadiq, not the Chafetz Chaim's wise person, Chafetz Chaim's Sadiq, not Chamuvadia's wise person, Chamuvadia's Sadiq, but God's Sadiq and God's wise person. Hashem is the one that rates this person as a Chacham, Hashem is the one that rates this person as a sadiq. and God says, even on this person, if he has a vested interest, his words are twisted. His eye is blinded. It's something that happens, my friends, subconsciously. You're not even aware of it. You're not even aware that you're bending the law or that you're acting in a different way than you normally would have. Why? Because that's the power of nigiyav, something that's a vested interest. Korach wanted power so bad that however wise he was, He was capable of twisting. Why? Because he wanted something so bad. My friends, when we want something, in turn, everything that we see seems to bolster our position. And when we don't want something, everything we see seems to bolster the position that we should not. I remember once, a long time ago, there was this young guy, did very, very well in his exams, he got accepted into, uh, I think it was Cambridge, it was Oxford or Cambridge, one of the two. I don't remember. In England, they call them Oxbridge, okay? One of the two really, you know, the, the finest universities in, in, in England. Anyway, he tells me, look, I, you know, like I said, I don't think I'm gonna go. I said, why? He goes, well, because of this. It was a stupid reason. He goes, that yeah, because of this. I'm just sitting there listening to this guy. It was also this, and you know, I'm at the court, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just thinking, what is wrong with this guy? And he goes, and he goes, and also, he goes, my girlfriend's going to Birmingham. I was like, (laughs) that's it right there. I was like, where are you going in the end? He goes, I think I'm going to go to Birmingham. (laughs) I was like, so all these excuses, like, who are you fooling? There's one reason and one reason only why you're turning this position down. You've decided based on one reason to go. Now you're gonna line up every stupid idea or reason, leaning, and you'll kind of use that to support the decision that you already made because your heart wants to be there or because of whatever other reason. Korach was a genius. But you know what the problem is? When something happens on a subconscious level, your genius can't help you because it happens not in the same place as your brain. Do you all know smart people that were in love with someone that was just so a so bad for them. And all the friends are like, are you seriously dating this girl? Are you seriously dating this guy? And they're so smart. But the heart wants, what the heart wants. <laughs> Your heart is going one way. You know what happens? What you think that what comes first? The eyes come first and then the heart. Why does the pasuk reverse the order? And the answer is because that's how reality works. The heart wants a beautiful woman, the eyes look for it. Remember a man came to the rabbi once and he said, you know, rabbi, the Torah teaches that, uh, you know, when you have Uh, tzitzit and they're blue the blue makes you think of the of the ocean and the ocean makes you think of the blue sky and the blue sky makes you think of the kisei akavod. and the kisei akavod makes you think of Hashem so you look at your tzitzit and what do you see? you see Hashem the guy said never in my life did I look down at my tzitzit and think oh the blue, the blue, the blue, the blue, the blue Hashem never, not once he says it doesn't work the rabbi said to him he said listen you know the halakha also says that a person is not supposed to look at provocative women's clothing, even if it's on a mannequin in a window. Because you see the clothing, the way it looks in the window on the mannequin, person imagines something, and then the guy's mind could go places maybe where it shouldn't and imagine people that are in the real. He says, Has that ever happened that you looked at something and you had some. The guy says, Yeah, he said, It's not that it doesn't work, you don't work. The thoughts that you naturally have, it took you from one place all the way across. You're not naturally, normally thinking about Borei Olam. So when you saw the blue, you didn't see that, you didn't see that, you didn't see that, you didn't see that. All you saw was a bunch of strings in your hand. (laughs) Mazboot, my friends. So when someone's really smart and their heart wants something, what happens? They just get really good at coming up with really good excuses. Because they're really smart. Their smarts don't help them anymore. So Korach comes up with the most elaborate plans. I don't want this position. No. This should be no one who has a position. He goes from wanting so bad to be the governor and the mayor and the leader, but if he can't have it, no one can. So he constructs these halachic queries, if you have a beged that has seat, does it need to have a blue string? What if the whole beged is blue? Does it need a blue string? You have a room full of sifarim with one little mezuzah, with one parashah of the Torah, you fulfill your obligation. So if I put whole sefer Torahs in the room, so surely it doesn't need a mezuzah. What's the halakha? In each case, he was giving examples which illustrated his point. That if everyone in the nation is holy, if the whole shirt is blue, if the whole room is full of sefer Torahs, so what you, don't need, what you don't need, you don't need the little uh, mezuzah, you don't need the one string of blue, you don't need the leaders. He uses his wisdom not to see the light, but to further justify his darkness. That's, what the, the, uh, that's the answer to the question we began with. Korah could have figured this out. If he would have been expending his brain in that direction, but he was very busy doing something else. And I want to point something else, Rabotai. They say in the name of the briskerov that if a person is in the middle of praying and he can't, he's lost his concentration, he's thinking about bitcoin, he's thinking about AMC, right, not AOC, that would be a capital offense, right? If he's thinking about, you know, uh, where, to send, anywhere, where to send his kids to school, you know, how is he going to get to the airport, he's thinking anything but prayers. Asu, you're supposed to be having intention on your prayers. What does a brisker say? What's a trick to banish all thoughts from your mind when you're praying? And by the way, I've tried this, and it works 100%, and not just like the blue string that only works if you're trying to make it work. He says, imagine... Watch this, you could even try it right now if you want. Close your eyes. And in the black of your, uh, what's it called? Of the slate of your consciousness or imagination, just as you say the words of the beracha see the letters in front of you forming. Baruch, Atah. See the letters coming, being written on your mind's eye. The, the fact that your cognitive brain power is being used to conjure up this graphic it does not allow the brain to think of consciously any other thought because the prefrontal cortex can think of one thought at a time subconsciously something else might be going on but in your present aware mind you can only think really one thought at a time it's like computers When they tell you that they're doing multitasking, they're not really doing multitasking. They're just switching from one thing to the other very, very quickly. But it can only do one thing at a time. Okay? My friends, from this lesson of the brisker of, of how to focus in prayer, I learned a tremendous lesson as well with regards to this conversation we're having here. If you're busy thinking of excuses, how you're going to take power You have zero brain power left to figure out that you know what? Maybe he became a gadol in spite of me. Or maybe he became a gadol because I kept my mouth shut and I felt humiliated and I didn't respond. Your brain is otherwise engaged. It's got nothing, no power left to be able to contemplate these possibilities. I'll end with one little bit. They say over in the name of... uh, of Isra Zalman and others as well that they were always on the lookout for Nigiah for some vested interest now you might think vested interest means someone is going to give me money if I do something you might think vested interest means um, I might get something that I really want but actually vested interest can be a lot more simple than that so as an example um, there was always a question there was someone coming to the town and they had to decide you know Should I go out and greet this person, you know, and welcome them to the town? He's a righteous man, a big Sadiq. On the other hand, I have a yeshiva, I'm supposed to be running the school, supposed to be here with the students, so should I go or not? He learned from his rabbi, the altar of Nevada, he learned from his behavior. And what did he do? Someone would come and ask him, please, can you write a letter of recommendation for my sefer, for my book? You know what he would do? He would do exactly the same as his rabbi. What did his rabbi do? His rabbi would put on his coat and he would put on his shoes and he would walk across town to where the person would be staying. And he would make the decision whether or not to greet him in front of the guy's house. Why? That way the decision was not being made by his laziness. It wasn't the hassle of getting all dressed up and it wasn't the hassle of walking to that place that was going to make the decision whether or not he was worthy. It was actually purely about the worth of spending the time sitting here, welcoming the person, and conversing with him, asking him if, he, you know, if he's comfortable, if he needs everything. Rev. when someone would come, they'd ask him about the book. You know what he would do? He would sit down, write the whole letter. And then after he'd conquered his laziness, he would then decide, should I give it to him or not? Is the book worthwhile or not? Is it correct hashkafa or not? because you know what if you don't write it you find a thousand reasons why the book is no good you know why because you cannot be bothered to sit down and write the letter the letter oftentimes the tzaddikim the greats of our past generations they were like the wisest and most wizened self analyzing psychologists they understood the nature of human beings to such a degree that today when I sit and talk with people about the things that I've learned from Torah they ask me where I studied to be a psychologist and I tell them I, I didn't learn anything I only I'm just giving you these uh, look I'll show it to you in the Gemara I'll show it to you in the Chumash this is what we learned this is how we grew up understanding these principles well, I'll give you an example projection famous concept in psychology it's in the Gemara the Gemara says kol you want to find something negative about someone else? What do you find negative in them? Something which is negative in yourself. Literally, the Gemara tells you 2,000 years ago about projection. But there's many examples like this. Because in, in effect, that's what Torah is. It's a divine instruction manual. Hashem says, I made you. I know how you work better than anybody else. These are the instruction manuals to conquer yourself to fight your own laziness, your own inhibitions, your own inferiority complexes, your own, uh, 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 in, you know, superiority complexes. All of the mitzvot teach us and guide us on this road. So Rabutai, we should be zocher to learn from the wisest of Am Yisrael at the time of Korach, how he went down a very dark road because he wanted something so bad, that he was unable to see uh, all the signs, the warning signs, uh, telling him that there was a cliff ahead, my friends, what signs are you missing? What do you want that makes you blind? Find those things and the stumbling blocks that sit in front of you, and especially the ones that you keep coming across, are likely to disappear. Baruch Adonai leolam, amen v'amen. We're going to say kaddish.